In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we welcome you to the All Souls Sermon Podcast. Good morning. You may be seated. I didn't know that was uh, something that was in the script. It was actually an invisible ink, and uh, I figured you're looking at me for a reason. I have very little power, but I could get you to sit down. Uh, whew, that was good. That was not bad. Uh, okay, before I preach, let me offer again my sincerest thanks to Father Yoder and the staff for inviting me to be with you. I have so enjoyed being with you all here this weekend. I feel very enriched by your hospitality, and I return back to Austin, Texas with uh, a deep sense of encouragement and hope about what God is doing in and through his people here in Oklahoma City and through you all in particular. So thank you again for welcoming me today. I'd like to begin my sermon today by confessing that this is one of the most difficult texts to preach on. More difficult, I dare say, than anything you might find in Romans or Revelation. This is not because it contains anything theologically terribly complicated or disturbingly apocalyptic, but because it is so impossibly familiar. I imagine for some of us, this psalm might evoke memories of Warner Solomon's 1943 painting with this vision of little plump sheep and utopian pastures devoid of any hint of death valleys and hovering over the idyllic landscape, a very well-groomed Jesus emanating an unflappable emollient aura. So how exactly do you make fresh a psalm that has been trampled over by countless cliches? What do you say to a people for whom this psalm might be just a great deal of white noise? Well, you tell them what every preacher is charged to tell, the truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God, which in this case is that the first verse in Psalm 23 offers to us a hint, a glimpse of the heart of the gospel. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Here I suggest to you is the good news of God for us, for you, for me this day. So let's look at each part of the verse in order to discern how this may be so. So the first word that appears in this verse is the Lord. In the Hebrew, this is the sacred four-consonant name that God reveals to Moses, Yahweh. It is the personal name of God. It is his forever name. But what does that really mean? Well, analogously, we might say that it is the difference between Father Yoder standing up here and saying, Behold, I am a human, which doesn't tell us terribly much about him, and you would not hire him on that basis alone. And him saying, I am the husband of Audra, and the father of Peter and Henry and Anna, born in Cumberland, Maryland, and a lover of, of cycling and climbing and Indian food and yo-yo ma and all things related to illustrated manuscripts. Well, it's a whole history, right, that defines his unique identity within a matrix of 
relationships and actions. The Lord who appears to us in Psalm 23 is not a generic God, the Elohim, floating indifferently above the pantheon of ancient Near Eastern gods. He is rather the one who reveals himself to Moses at the burning bush. He is the God of Abraham and of Isaac and Jacob. He is a personal God who has bound himself to his people with a covenantal love. His name means something. Now the term Lord is then qualified by shepherd. And why is this significant? Well, because unlike a customer service representative for your phone company who may live only God knows where on planet Earth, you cannot be a good shepherd at a distance. You can only be a good shepherd near at hand, quite literally at hand's length. A faraway shepherd is fundamentally a contradiction in terms. A second thing to note is that in ancient Near Eastern societies, the idea of a shepherd often evoked non-cozy pictures of totalitarian rulers who treated their people as dispensable vassals. It evoked memories of ruthless killers. And the language of shepherd usually appeared in the plural. God is our shepherd. But here, remarkably, it appears in the singular. You are my shepherd. This is meant to arrest the reader's attention within a communalist society. The point being what? Well, there are no generic people who come under the Lord's shepherding care. There is only Chris and John and Tammy and Andrew and Laura and Graham and Alicia and Terry and Lucy and the rest. Each of them seen and loved. Each of them the object of the Lord's attentive shepherding care. And finally, we have, I shall not want. Now, what's most striking about this psalm is that the Lord provides food, rest, guidance, and protection in precisely the places where we often feel most helpless, in death's dark valley, in the presence of our enemies, in the experience of evil. Our good shepherd offers to us his care in the face of global unrest, in the presence of of vicious anxieties, in our experience of declining health and fractured family relations. The psalmist signals to the reader the critical importance of this reality by shifting subtly into a second-person address from he guides me to you are with me, from he leads to you comfort me, from he refreshes To you protect me. King James translates verse 5 with the phrase, My cup runneth over. The cup runneth over in the sense that God's provision always, in some sense, exceeds what we can actually ask or imagine. It's like when Father Christmas showed up in Narnia and surprises the wearied, dispirited travelers with gifts they never expected to receive. To Mrs. Beaver, a new sewing machine. To Lucy, a bottle of magic cordial. And for all of them, as Brits that they are, a pot of hot tea with cream and sugar. A taste of heaven, perhaps. 
The experience of not wanting in Psalm 23 reaches its climax in the final benediction. After all the lying down and the guiding and the walking and the eating and the consummation of one's life, there is finally an arrival. Home. That one place that our hearts yearn to find with a pain that seems often unbearable. But as with the whole of the Psalter, Psalm 23 also functions as a kind of counter-narrative to the primordial story. In Genesis 3, the serpent asks Adam and Eve a question that he asks you and me. Did God really say? And the presumed answer is, is no, he did not. In fact, I do not know his name. The serpent also asks our first parents a question whose intention is to sow doubt in their minds. Will God take care of you? Really? And the presumed answer is again, no, he cannot and will not take care of me. And finally, the serpent brazenly contradicts God's own word, in essence saying to Adam and Eve, God is cheating you, so take what he owes you, grasp it, be like a God, the sovereign of your own life. The presumption here is that if you do not take care of yourself, then you will always lack. This, dear friends, is the story of the first Adam. The story of Jesus, the last Adam, however, turns out radically differently. Satan's first temptation to Jesus in the wilderness is to turn a few stones into a handful of bread loaves to take care of himself because presumably his father certainly will not. But Jesus refuses this temptation. He chooses to trust his father, the empirical evidence notwithstanding, and he offers his body instead as bread for the whole world. You look at the face of this wounded and resurrected Christ and you see the, I will be with you always, God. You look at this Jesus and you see the one who makes more than enough wine for the guests at the wedding of Cana. You look at this Jesus and you see the good shepherd who knows you by name. And he hears your voice. But we do not always experience him that way, do we? In Psalm 23, the psalmist finds himself traveling through life's terrain and to all this activity says, I shall not want. And yet, when you look at your own life, you do want. Maybe you want in your marriage. Maybe a child leaves you wanting in some way or your budget is strained or your body is chronically in pain or your job exhausts you or your friends have failed you. You want. In Psalm 23, the psalmist faces death's dark valley and shares a meal in the presence of his enemies and here too he says, I shall not want. Yet you and I, if we are honest, we do. Our mental health is strained. Our young people abandon the faith. Our family members do not see eye to eye on politics or sexual ethics. In Psalm 23, finally, we arrive at home, joyfully not wanting for anything, and yet we do want. The past few years have been a dark valley for many of us, and we perhaps see enemies everywhere. 
We do not feel at home, and we worry that God is deaf to our prayers. So what does it mean to say that the Lord is my shepherd and really believe it? Allow me to suggest this in conclusion. What Psalm 23 verse 1 offers to us is a word of reassurance in the face of a fundamental human fear with each part of the verse raising existential questions for us. The Lord, can I trust you? Shepherd, will you take care of me? I shall not want. Am I going to be okay? This is Adam and Eve's question. It is Israel's question. It is the psalmist's and the disciples' questions. And brothers and sisters, it is your question and it is my question. And as often as not, depending on the day, we may answer in the negative. But thanks be to God, Jesus has not left us as orphans. He has given us his Holy Spirit so that we might answer these questions with faith and with hope and with love. What Psalm 23 verse 1 offers to us then is an invitation to pray as Christians throughout the centuries have prayed it as a petition in faith, not as a presumptuous fact, as an affirmation in hope over against all self-protective tendencies and as a way perhaps to stumble into the truth of God's shepherding love rather than waiting and waiting and waiting to believe it with perfect and absolute certainty and thereby never experiencing a taste of his pastoral care. Dear friends, I cannot imagine a more timely confession of faith in this season of Lent than the one that Psalm 23 verse 1 offers to us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. May we trust this day in the generous provision of our good shepherd who by his spirit makes not simply enough, but more than enough. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening to the sermon podcast of All Souls Episcopal Church. For service times and more information, go to allsoulsokc.com. God be with you.